Fans, and welcome to the latest episode of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the show within the Let Me Tell You Something canon, in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullings, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. We have pondered amongst ourselves if we were going to uh, have any more five-star matches come our way in 2022. Uh, where are we, Simon, and who are the participants? We are at New Japan's Autumn Battle or Autumn Fight or something. But we are we are at the main event of said said event for the IWGP United States Championship and it is five star not just Kingpin, but five star Lynchpin in the modern era, Will Ospreay taking on Tetsuya Naito. Who was a figure I think we wondered if we'd ever see on these five stars again. Because, as we've observed in the past, his physical deterioration has been visible. And it's affected the way that he's wrestled. And I can't think of... I'm trying to remember when was the last time he had a five-star match. Was it his Wrestle Kingdom match against Kota Ibushi, perhaps? I think it was. I'm just looking it up now. Definitely talking 12, 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And for a man who went through his fairy tale journey, and not really hooked it hooked me as a character when we were doing the five star project and and beyond when when we were like catching ourselves back up, he does seem like he he was never to grace the series again. Yes, that was the last one, right at the start of twenty twenty one, January fourth, twenty twenty one. And before then, his previous one had been the match against Kazuchika Okada at the Wrestle Kingdom. Before then. That's the one. He's actually only been in eight five-star matches before this one. Whereas the other figure of this match, Will Ospreay, I mean, he might have had eight five-star matches this year by Meltzer's. I think he's officially overtaken Okada now. He has overtaken Okada, yes. And I'm just looking at it here. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep. So he's had eight five-star matches this year, and this is Naito's ninth five-star match overall now i would have to say if and i am planning to anyway i start ranking my favorite wrestlers i am going to put naito ahead of osprey for a number of reasons like we've been kind of blowing hot and cold on will osprey this year i think because we've had to discuss him so often in that we've praised him where he's been praiseworthy but we've also felt like Calm it down a bit, Dave. This was his 24th five-star match, I believe, making him one more than Kazuchika Okada for five-star matches, and now only one shy of Mitsuharu Masawa's record of 25 five-star matches. I might be wrong there, but it was something along those lines. Yeah, and barring something tragic, it's inevitable he will hit that. It seems to me like everything is teasing towards... Osprey facing off against Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom or Forbidden Door 2. Or maybe both events. And as long as Omega can keep up his end of the bargain on that physically, then I feel like that's probably the 
that's your 25th five-star match from even and who knows we could we did have another match teased after this that maybe maybe we'll get one more still this year out of him yeah sorry it's just i've I've recently watched the simpsons episode and this is big johnny's lock of the week that oh that's a pretty big lock (laughs) but what is it about osprey that makes Meltzer melt so much when he sees him and i think what it is i think that Meltzer really puts a lot of praise behind move execution Mm. i think weirdly i think he is as much about the physical displays and, and pushing the envelope physically, like pushing your physicality to the to its maximum. Yeah. Osprey was already doing that, but in the past year or so, basically since Osprey turned heel on Okada in the G1 2020, the final night of that G1, and created the United Empire. It seems like Osprey's been on this mission to prove that not only can he do the physical stuff, he can do all the psychological stuff. Mm. And so for Meltzer, it's like a perfect melding of the two things that he believes is the most important. And he likes the epic epicness of big moves kicked out. He just always liked that stuff. From All Japan Women, through to NXT, Johnny Gargano, to this. It's stuff... Yeah. And, and All Japan main events of the 90s as well was having a lot of that stuff as well so i think that that's ultimately why he loves it so much for me i think my problem is that i i get fed up of not fed up fed up's not the right word but if i feel like it's following some sort of set pattern that i tire of the pattern quicker and i also think that Meltzer feels like because he's given this match five stars and the other match has done everything that he gave that match five stars he has to give that five stars too like, he gave the El Desperado death match that has been a lot of people's pick for a match of the year candidate this year. He gave that four and three quarter stars while saying he didn't enjoy the match because he doesn't like death match wrestling. Mm. But he feels like he's got set criteria that they have to meet. And because he created that criteria, and that criteria affects how so many people have wrestled since then. And Osprey seems to, whether consciously or not, work to that criteria that Meltzer sets better than anyone else. Mm even more so than Okada, that's what makes Meltzer feel like he almost has to give these matches five stars because he does the epic, he now does the emotions, he does the big moves, he does the fast pace. And so you combine all those things, I think Meltzer almost feels on a bound to give his matches the five-star ratings. I, I can see, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. It's sort of like, look upon my creation, I've sort of like, you know, not made a mistake, but... I wonder if Dave does think about the impact he's had uh, and now that now wor- worries about people wrestling to his style or not. He star-rated himself into a corner. Maybe. Maybe. And, and look, it's it's my constant thing that him giving six stars to Omega Okada was what really broke him and, and made this what it is. Yeah. I'm not going to stop doing the five-star project because I feel like, I, to be honest, I think it's what got us the following that we have. Yeah, I think it's the thing that people look forward to the most. Or maybe they're also getting fed up of us going into the same pattern of saying, it's not quite five stars for me. More so me than you. (laughs) (laughs) These days, at least, yes. (laughs) But it's curious because I was saying about how one of the things I've realised realised about Okada is that maybe it's more that he is the canvas on which people paint their masterpiece. Yeah. 
rather than him being the one that helps create it as much. And I think that watching this match was another example of why I love Naito so much, because I think I really enjoyed this match, actually. I like this a lot. Mm. And I put it right up there with the Okada match from the G1 this year, which has been my favourite Osprey Okada match. Because what I like about it is that there's... And this goes back to his last five-star match with Ibushi, where Naito was playing the subtle heel in that one. Yeah. In that there's the strategy and the thought process that whilst he is not necessarily wrestling 100% like a virtuous babyface, well, Naito never was that. No. What made him popular was doing away with the virtuous babyface that was the Stardust genius and embracing this, I don't know, I guess you'd call it a tweener role. And the commentary team uh, highlight this, uh, the English ones, obviously. <laughs> yes. like That's one thing I noted early on when he gets, when he targets Osprey's neck early on he twice osprey gets into the ropes and he holds on to the hole for as long as he possibly can reminiscent of like when bret hart in my favorite match ever when the bret hart gets bulldog in a sleeper hold and bulldog crawls to the ropes bret hart doesn't release until he has to yeah yeah it's a baby phase bending the rules but not out and out breaking them as it were but that's what's been so interesting because as i said this whole thing started off with what I perceived as, and in all the traditions it was, Osprey's heel turn. Yeah. In the G1 2020. But with this, and with the Okada match as well, and even some of his other matches on this run, at least in Japan, not so much in the Rev Pro matches, he has been the underdog trying to prove something. They say in the commentary how much further he's pushing himself with his punishing schedule. He's fighting these singles matches. He's wrestling at a higher pace and tempo than Naito who picks and chooses his matches now because he's clearly physically deteriorating and is not the man that he once was physically so he's got to make up for that with his mental games and his strategy and they are out in force especially early doors yeah the whole thing is Naito always tries to get into his opponent's head by slow rolling literally taking an age to disrobe yeah, I love that line from like being shouted from ringside. If he undresses for 60 minutes, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> yes, that was Gideon Gray, I think it is, or Graves. I think it's Gray, who is a new addition to the United Empire, and he's basically the financier of the group. That He is a British wrestler, has been around for years, but as portrayed within the United Empire, he is not very good as a wrestler. I was saying, like... 2022 Gado would probably hand him his ass. That's how bad he is in the ring. Yeah. But he's got the money, so the rest of the United Empire tolerate him. It's weird. He dresses like a drunk uncle at a wedding. Well, everyone in the United Empire dresses like that now. That's like they're... They, they've still been... They've been looking for an identity, and they still are. But if in, you know, uh, the end... I don't know if you watched the end angle. There's They've got Aussie Open out there as well. Yeah, in and suits. they are similarly in the black jackets but their ties are done up properly and they they look smarter and more presentable gideon like he looks like like i say the drunk uncle at the wedding but like i said he's kind of their latcher he's like their hanger on because he's the guy with the money he's the guy with the funds that allow them to he he probably paid for the suits Ah. so so i guess he gets to wear his however he likes well the thing with the united empire is it's always been so disparate like this recent tour was really the first time that you saw the entire group in full force 
Yeah. With not just the New Japan arm of it, which was Osprey, Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb, but now you've got Aussie Open finally appearing on New Japan yeah. Japan shows, along with the other New Japan USA members, TJP, and also Francesco Akira. That's who I saw at the end. I couldn't figure out who the small guy was for a split sec. You, you've itched that for me, thank you. But it's curious as well because they are—they've always been trying to figure out what their look is, and they seem to have finally found it that they're like these all business figures. Obviously, with the United Empire and the nationalities of the figures that they have in the team, for the most part, mm. it's like mostly Commonwealth, yeah, figures. But obviously, Aussie Open from Australia. Because they obviously need to distinguish them from the Bullet Club. And it's also that they don't cheat like the Bullet Club do. No. So, they're obviously saying something about British imperialism, I suppose. Well, it's right there in the name. <laughs> As opposed to the Bullet Club, which was meant to be a parody of... The NWO. American wrestling in general, and the NWO in particular. And also now with the House of Torture, they've added that gothic element to it as well. Right. That's what I'm saying. What's so odd about Osprey, both in the Okada match and now in this match, to a person coming in blind, he is the underdog babyface fighting through the adversity. Mm. And it's, at best, Naito is subtle heel. Like I said, like it's a Brett Davy match or, or Naito Ibushi. It's weird because he doesn't get his like babyface shine. He just gets his sympathy spot right out the gate because Naito tries to put him in a wheelchair. <laughs> Yes, and that is the focus of Naito pretty much throughout the entire match, is him going after the neck. At the start, he tries to psych out Osprey so that he can dictate the pace, and Osprey does the exact opposite of that, and forces Naito, for what feels like the first time in forever, to do like a sprint sequence right at the start. He brings him into... And Naito is always trying to bring it back to his level, and when he thinks he can finally get control is when he knocks Osprey to the outside and fakes him out on the dive and does his traditional Ingobernables and it's like I'm going to dive when I feel like diving and I'm in your head yeah. and Osprey still is like okay well I couldn't make him go the fast pace but at least let me show him that I can just as quickly slide into the ring and put you in the pose which yeah. is reminiscent as well of course of him and his famous ricochet sequence that got the internet first going into a tizzy over whether or not he's a good wrestler or, or not. And as I said at the time, that was like a... To me, I was reading that as an anything you can do, I can do better. So it wasn't that it was a synchronised sequence. It was him say, him showing Ricochet, I'm every bit as fast and every bit as agile as you because I can keep at your pace and I can do all the fancy flips that you do to put people off and show off your athleticism. Well, well you're not any more athletic than I am. And in this, what he's saying is, I'm just as liable to get into your head as you are into mine. Yeah. So Naito knows he can't psych him out in just the sense of make him do mistakes. So what he can instead do is attack him at his biggest weakness, which is the yeah. still the back of the head, the neck that he's had since at least before, during the G1 climax, and now it's carried on through to through to here. And basically everything that Naito does in the match, in the build up anyway, before we go into the finishing sequence, is how will this hurt your neck? Yeah, there are some great moments where he attacks it like that seemingly at one point never ending sequence of um elbows yes to the neck. yes and what i liked about that was because 
that was part of the elbow exchange towards the end of the match thing that we always get. And uh, I mm. can't even remember if it was the last one I said. I would like to challenge all of wrestling to just not do that for one year. Yeah. But if they were as thought out as this one was, I'd be less annoyed by it. They did sort of work with what the match was, at least for the first time they did a forearm exchange. Because will's arm was getting like more and more of a stinger every time he used it in the forearm exchange it was almost kawada-esque in how he was crumbling to the mat i mean with kawada it can be as much just like he fights through the pain and then just suddenly you can't anymore with osprey was more of a gradual deterioration yeah yeah so that was quite clever him taking such an early like not a full powder because it wasn't like to try and psych out his opponent it was to try and like create distance but when he like slide out the ring early doors and has a chat with Gideon, like bloody hell, what's going on here? That that was a good way of like say like highlighting how much the neck's going to be an issue. The other one that sticks out for me is obviously that apron net breaker and just the sheer sound that it made. New Japan matches, maybe more than any matches that I can think of, do great shifting of momentum. Yeah, because it's less of a babyface shine heel beat down come back finishing straight mm. it is always more of a seesaw battle and each one will get some control for a portion and then the other one will return it's so it's not like a three-act structure it, as it's not as explicitly easily obviously a three-act structure yeah like an like an ftr tag team match or just any wwf match pre-attitude era which was basically the same formula mm. lather rinse repeat because Osprey's so fearful and because he's in such physical pain, the importance to him is to just make it as impactful as possible. So whenever he hits Naito, it really does feel like he's hitting him with heavy bombs. Yeah. Everything has like is intended for maximum damage. Yeah, when, especially when he when he's forced to use his upper body. Because he does switch to like lower body moves, he has his flip kick, he has his enziguri springboard forearm obviously the launching point the power base is the lower half of the body but there's a great moment where he counters the spinning ddt and holds naito in like a suplex kind of thing and he's like right if you're making me use my neck i'm gonna make it count for something yeah i do like those because you do get that sense of even when he's doing something defensive he's doing it at the expense of his neck like he's causing extra damage to his neck but he's made the gamble that holding him in this you know mid ddt is not going to ultimately hurt me as much as if he'd actually executed the ddt in the first place yeah and so then when naito surprises him and hits the ddt later on in the match it makes for a big exciting close three counts yeah. And I do like also that Osprey, because we've always said like how much of this past two years the story has been Osprey trying to prove that he can't, he's not just the flips. And that's one of the reasons, that's one of the things that Meltzer was like, one of the many Twitter arguments he manages to get himself into. <laughs> saying, oh, you don't watch Osprey matches anymore if you think they're all about flips. And that's the point. It is, Osprey is almost reluctant to go back to his high flying, but it's what helps him. As you say, in this match, he's like, he reverts to his high flying moves almost as a form of defense. Yes because he can't hit him with anything based around his upper body strength. He has to do springboards. He has to do spin kicks. That was one of the mm. momentum shifts was him doing a handspring kick followed by a pescado to the outside. Yeah. And so, yeah, I appreciated all the psychology that was in this match. This was a match of great psychology, and that's because Osprey clearly wants to define himself as a psychology master, and Naito already is one. 
Yeah. They, they created a great source of tension as well where Naito goes for the top rope Poison Rana, or as you more appropriately name it, the Reverse Rana! Yeah. It's just like the crowd realising, like, oh my god, if he hits this, they might as well get the backboard out kind of vibe. And considering this, I don't really know if they're still allowed to cheer yet. No, it's still clap crowds, yeah. Yeah. Considering they don't, they, the crowd had one arm still has one arm tied behind its back. You you could still feel the vibe from them. Like that you could still feel the tension in the air. But yeah, it's just so weird seeing Osprey as the heel fighting through adversity. The only other example I can think of of like that level of a high profile was Ric Flair in the ninety two Royal Rumble. Mm. It's so rarely done. And well, there've been other examples of that, I suppose, like Triple H I remember there was one SmackDown where because he, he was going to do the six pack challenge and they put him in match with every one of the other five wrestlers that were going to be in that match in one episode. Ah, <laughs> so that was a heel fighting against adversity. I guess the fun thing with Naito is that he's playing these mind games, but it's always been that too cool for school character of the ungovernable one. Mm. You know, at the start of the match, he comes to the ring with a coat that he'd nicked off Gideon Gray <laughs> in the build up to this. Uh, event and then when the referee shows him the United States title like this is what you're wrestling for he places the coat on because I think what he's saying is that this is essentially a you know you got like title versus career title versus match yeah this is title versus coat winner takes all because it's funny in the build up to it on the press conference Will Ospreay says I blame you for the destruction of the intercontinental title and I'm not going to allow you to destroy the United States title as well. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And so I think that's Naito again playing into it. And like, I genuinely don't think Naito really cared that much about winning the United States title at all. Yeah. It just likes winding people up. I, I do like uh, Will go, just goes to Gideon. Don't worry, mate, I'll get you a coat back. <laughs> and at the end, Gideon throws it out the ring. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. He's gone through hell to get you that. <laughs> Also, I like it when there are echoes again, because like, there's so much about Osprey, it's like other wrestlers in, are in his head, and ultimately, I guess the story's got to be, uh, until you become your own man, you'll never be able to surpass Okada, or, or as well, Omega. And, and that's why you think it's going the Omega direction. Well, they even teased him putting Naito in for the second rope One-Winged Angel. He gets him yeah. up in, on, on his... On his shoulders. I'm trying to remember if that was how Omega beat Naito in their G1 semi-final. Mm. But it does show like how much being the best is in his head. Because he. this is past the point, obviously, when his neck's already been battered. He's obviously now flip, going against his like initial instincts and not be the flippy guy. He's going against that by using his like, you know, flip moves to try and like counteract his like paggered neck for want of a better term but because he's so he's got this like innate desire to be crowned the man he's like you know i'll still do this nod and wink kind of thing even though you know it's gonna ruin my neck further but i guess again that follows on through he studies the matches and when he was hitting okada with all those moves in the g1 final it was from people who beaten okada in the past yeah so similarly it feels like 
by trying to do the one-winged angel. He was trying to beat Naito with the move that had beaten him in the past. Mm. And it, that other person being Kenny Omega. So it's like sending a double message. Because what was wonderful about, I guess, what you would call the close thing to the four pillars of New Japan in that mid-2010s golden age, I guess, will be perceived as now, which was those years of Omega, Okada, Tanahashi, Naito. Yeah was that they all had their different character dynamics with one another. How they they hated each other or liked each other or, or respected each other in different ways. Mm. That is less the case with Osprey and Naito. They don't have a great history together. Osprey had already beaten Naito in the G1, I think. Yeah, in the G1 semi-final to reach the final against Okada. Yeah. He beat Naito. And Naito is clearly, like, trying to stay on the upper levels, but it's clear that he's not there as much anymore. Like, he's challenged God knows how many times since losing the IWGP title to Ibushi. He's challenged Okada at least three times and lost each time Mm. in the space in between. And and Osprey clearly sees him more as a stepping stone. And there's that sense with Naito as maybe he can't really stop this now yeah it's a slow december that's how new japan champions are booked you know if if he can physically still go naito probably will be in the g1 climax 2027 but he may only end up on like four points and then we'll bow out and you know you look at where nagata and tenzan and kojima are i don't know if naito will physically be able to do that yeah when he's in his late 40s we'll have to wait and see but that that is that is clearly part of that natural progression in in japanese wrestling yeah that is less popular in uh in america and elsewhere yeah if you're on the top you're on the top for life as far as a lot of these guys go there, there is an innate charisma about him oh god yeah yeah to, to see him do i wouldn't say like manager or but some because new japan don't really have don't, don't really do it in the same way it's impossible to tell because you don't know what his personality like is like backstage is he a great trainer because i know he like took hiromu under his under his wing so maybe he'll be one of the people in charge of the dojo when the third generation guys of nagata and everyone bow out yeah maybe you'll go to la and take over the la dojo if shibata leaves we don't know we, we those things are still up in the air but I'm glad that Naito, at least we got to talk about him one more time in this five-star thing, even if we never will again. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, he's it's obvious that he can still do it mentally. And mm. as far as he had to do in this match, he, he was able to go physically. Maybe he's not got many more of these type of matches in him, but he still did. Well, he didn't look wrecked at the end. Yeah, he didn't look out of place. But again, that's probably because he picks and chooses and doesn't do these level of intensity matches that much. I mean, maybe that's what I think one of the reasons that the G1 is the way that it is now is because they can see how much it messed up Carter and Omega and Tanahashi and all these guys beforehand. Yeah. But we're in an interesting stage now with New Japan because we've just had Ren Narita come back at Wrestle Kingdom. He's going to be fighting Zack Sabre Jr. for the TV title. He's picked up wins already on Ishii and Sonada. At the end of this match, we saw Shota Umino return as Roughneck. Yep. The tag league is going to see Gabriel Kidd make a return, at least for the course of that league. I think he's still going to be presented as, like, on a bridging gap between the Young Lion and the and the fully-fledged. But he's had other issues to deal with, so that's understandable. But you've also got Yuya Yurimura, you've got Yota Suji, 
at least uh, by this time next year, you would assume that probably both of those guys will be back on the main roster, plus whoever they do choose to bring in from the LA Dojo. It's a bit up in the air there, because like Carl Fredericks has now left New Japan, because it's that sense of all these Americans are obviously going into these these things, and Gabriel Kidd as well, are going in hoping that they can be Wrestle Kingdom headliners, but instead it might be the what, New Japan actually want to do is to build them up as the stars of the number three promotion in America and that's the highest thing that they're going for with New Japan of America and obviously that's not enough for Carl Fredericks and absolutely fair enough for him. Gotta back yourself. Yeah but if that's New Japan's vision that's not necessarily matching, I don't think that's what Gabriel Kidd wants to be. Yeah. He didn't uproot his life and everything and go to Japan and live there during the first year of the pandemic and everything and obviously go through a lot of strife not to at some point get the chance to become a g1 finalist and completely revolutionize himself physically as well the first time i the the time i saw gabriel kidd in ring on both occasions he he looked a very different physical being from the one he is now yeah and it seems like the protagonist of new japan this year has been will osprey even more so than Okada. Okada is in his view with JY, but he just doesn't, at least from my perspective, doesn't feel like he's got nearly as much interest behind it. But then again, maybe that's because we're having to talk about Will Ospreay a lot more because of Dave Meltzer giving all the five stars, whereas he doesn't ever give Jay White matches outside of the, re- the against Ibushi five stars. Mm. And he's sort of slowed down on Okada in recent months and years, as Okada himself. Well, like I said, maybe... It's not that Okada's been exposed, but maybe he, he needs the right dance partner to lead him in these matches, you know? Maybe. And right now, obviously, Meltzer thinks that Osprey's a better wrestler than Okada. And maybe he is, but again, Okada's not, you know? I, I, I prefer Naito over Okada as well, so yeah. that's me. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd say that. Well, we'll I'd have say... a lot more to talk about on that later on in uh, in the future, very near future. I suppose. Yes, that's true. I suppose with January coming round soon. But I guess I don't know anything left to say about this match. I don't think Simon. Do you have any more notes? Uh no. All gone. I will just say that the finishing straight. I think whilst exciting, that was where it became a bit silly. It's like for the final few minutes, like the neck just stopped being that big a factor anymore. Yeah, I mean, what, took two straight Destinos? Yeah, and then it just becomes big match sequences, and there's still really cool stuff in there. But again, it's then when it gets into the, the formula, that appeals less to me. So I wouldn't give this match five stars. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't escape the obligatory sat-down forearm exchange. No, I don't mind that, though, because they did it well. They did it differently with this one. It actually told a story... But then that was let down. Not So it wasn't the forearm exchange that let them down in that sense. It was just the big moves at the end without there being any real sense of like Osprey powering through one final time with the neck or anything. And then when he does the promo, he barely you know says anything about the neck when he does stuff with a roughneck. Yeah. Roughneck. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I would go either four and a half or four and three quarters. It's right up there with the G1 for me. Not quite five stars, but I really enjoyed it a lot. It's definitely one of my favourite matches this year. Yeah, I'm I'm minded to agree with you, rating-wise. Well, if you're not giving it five stars, then it barely gets in your top ten, does it? (laughs) No, I'm not quite going five stars. It was very, very, very good, but there's just something. 
the finishing stretch may be part of it, but something just didn't quite get me over the line with this one. Well, that's been it, mate. Is that our last five star match for the year? Well, we've got another AEW pay per view coming up. Although looking at that lineup, there's a match that they're teasing that I can see Melts going five stars on, but card is subject to change and it's not in the book yet. <laughs> yes, but other than that, Simon, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? As other than how people can get in touch with you about matches and coats and anything else that they might want to talk to you about so if people want to get in touch with me they can do so on twitter at simon cross free free for the number of vertebrae that will probably need fused together if he ends up doing matches like this all the time my name's Lorcan Mullen. that's l-o-r-c-a-n-m-u-l-l-a-n if you reverse the first two letters in naito that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Email the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. For the next episode, if we don't have another five-star match rated in the interim, we will get back to what we were talking about the previous episode, which is we're going to be talking about what, Simon? If there are no more five-star matches, as you say, we are going to go back to the gorgeous ladies of wrestling and uh, actually look at some real-life action from the real-life world of GLOW. Yes, it's Season 1, Episode 22, and the matches that we'll be covering in that, one of them might be listed as the match, but we're going to talk about all four, I think, is Matilda the Hun versus California Doll and Ebony, Palestina against Susie Spirit the Cheerleader, Colonel Ninochka against Sally the Farmer's Daughter, and Corporal Kelly and Attaché against Americana and Tammy Jones. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.